welcome to Cream of Caroline, the most outrageous casserole lifestyle podcast on the airwaves. I'm your host, Caroline Hatchett. Today's episode is jam-packed. We are cooking for a crowd tonight. And for you, for you listeners, that might mean making dinner for 5, 10, or maybe 50 if you're adventurous. But for our first guest, Aaron Kanegilu, who is the executive pastry chef of Union Square Events, that might mean cooking for 4,000 hungry people. I also took a field trip to my hometown of Baxley, Georgia, and spoke with local entertaining maven Elaine Tooten, who will give you tips on planning your next extravaganza. And I hosted my own shindig in conjunction with this episode, making far too many dishes, casseroles, salads, sides, etc. from my tiny kitchen. But you will hear from my 15 or so guests at the end of the episode. And you know what's about to happen. It's going to get creamy. What's in the oven? A lot for this Cooking for a Crowd episode. And from the 1961 Better Homes and Gardens casserole cookbook, on page 51, it is the chicken strata. I chose this recipe because it was designed to make the day in advance of a party, and it serves 24 humans. However, Mr. Nicholson and I only have room for 14 to 15 people in our home, so we had some leftovers. To get started, you take one giant loaf of Pullman bread, slice it, dry it out briefly in the oven, and dice it into cubes. I bought uh, an extra special sourdough Pullman loaf from She Wolf Bakery in New York, and I really do think that the quality of the bread made all the difference in the final product. I also cooked two whole chickens, which I shredded and combined with two cups mayonnaise, diced onion, celery, and bell pepper, and in a separate bowl whisked together six eggs and six cups of milk. For assembly, layer a portion of the bread onto two into two buttered casserole dishes. Cover with the chicken mayonnaise mixture, cover that with another hearty layer of bread, and then evenly distribute the egg milk mixture over top. You're gonna kinda push the bread down, make sure it's as submerged as possible, uh, cover the casserole dishes, and throw them in the refrigerator overnight. Forget about it until you're ready to cook the next day. At which point, you're going to take some additional buttered bread cubes, put them on top of the casserole, slather that. Each casserole gets two cans of cream of mushroom soup that I just kind of spread over the top. Baked it at 375 for an hour plus until hot and bubbling in the center. At that point, I added a lot of cheddar cheese and cooked it for 10 minutes more. Whew. It was a ton of work, as was the entire dinner, but we had so much fun with all of the friends who came over and loved the casserole. It hit a ton of comfort food points for people across cultures and generations. I also had on the vintage menu, crudité with homemade ranch dressing, a savory blue cheese log, a layered salad, which was maybe the favorite dish of the night. I'll share that recipe on Instagram, a green bean almondine, and for dessert, brown butter pecan peach sundaes. I need a break from cooking, but that's what's in the oven. Casseroles in the news. The internet is on fire with judgment regarding the foods Jinger Duggar serves her family. Last week, fans of Counting On slammed Duggar for feeding her daughter Felicity ribs. Soon after, they praised her for a kale-chicken-mushroom combo, commenting, You've retired that tater tot casserole. So glad she's finally able to eat healthy. Thank you, mom shamers, for your wholly unnecessary and 
wholly unhealthy backseat dining advice. Jinger, you do you. And Felicity, get into that tater tot casserole. In Texas, they still celebrate casseroles loud and proud. The 15th annual Big Tex Choice Awards just listed finalists for its annual competition. Contestants in the savory category include Fernie's Fried Burnt In Burrito, Calypso Island Shrimp Bowl, Ruth's Stuffed Fried Mexicone, Southern Fried Chicken Fettuccine Alfredo Ball, and you know who we're rooting for, Texas Cream Corn Casserole Fritters served with a side of corn queso blanco dip. Yeehaw. And finally, the St. Ignatius Senior Center in St. Ignatius, Montana is looking for a delivery person to deliver meals on wheels to homebound citizens on Tuesdays and Fridays. A typical haul consists of maybe a soup, sandwich, catfish dinner, or perhaps a farmhouse casserole. If you are interested, just stop by the Senior Center for an application. It's located at 212 North Main Street, and you must have a valid driver's license to apply. That's your casseroles in the news. Good evening, everyone. Hello, we have Erin Kanegi Lou in the house tonight for a big casserole party. She is the executive pastry chef at Union Square Events, a mom of two and a general badass. Hello. Hi, how are you? I am doing really well. I'm really glad that you're going to maybe <clears throat> help me pull the rest of this meal together. <laughs> That'd be great. Because you're such a pro. I want to start first with your food background because we met when you were cooking at The Wife through a very like professional food lens in the pastry world, but you grew up and spent time in Japan and Philly and have Pennsylvania Dutch heritage that I was confused about. What? So tell me a little bit about your food roots and what you grew up eating. Food roots, well, I was born in Japan and was very heavily influenced by Japanese food and flavors and textures um, from everything from the savory side to the sweets. But my family is from the U.S. and my mother uh, grew up in Japan and was born in Japan but is Caucasian and uh, her roots are from an Amish Pennsylvania Dutch background. Um, And so I spent a lot of my summers when we were not in Japan running through cornfields and milking cows. I have a million second cousins uh, all over the valley. You've, mil- my- you've milked cows before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jump through hay barrels and through barns, like into pay and, you know, riding horse and buggy with our Amish friends and, you know, watching cats be born and, yeah, all that crazy fun stuff. And That's like, those are two very, very different Extremely different. Worlds. And where were you living in Japan? In Tokyo? Or? In Tokyo. We would go to a couple, my, we'd go in the summers when my mom would be taking her, um, her students for like summer abroad. Okay. Okay. Wow. But so I assume I have, I, my mom dra- dragged us through Amish country when we were like 1917 and it was like the worst vacation sorry mom that we've ever been on <laughs> and I, I remember eating a lot of like creamy creamy things did you eat did you eat casseroles oh we ate a lot of casseroles oh yay okay <laughs> <laughs> many many casseroles what what is what were some of your favorite recipes from your mom or your family I don't know if they were it's just things we ate often so a lot of green bean casserole okay a lot of like they called it a cornmeal mush Kind okay. of style, so it's basically like polenta, mm-hmm. and then other stuff gets thrown into it. We had a lot of scrapple. Okay, oh, 
which I love Scrapple, and I loved Scrapple. Um, like, it was the good stuff. Um, we ate a lot of, a lot of, like, the Jello creamy set, like, savory, mm-hmm. but it's Jello and cream set. No, no, type I'm, for, of, I'm familiar with yeah. that. Yes. Uh, so those were interesting, and then there were a lot of our family's recipes in a bunch of Mennonite cookbooks that are most often having to do with a lot of different types of casseroles from like shepherd's pie to pot pies to like things that are like kugel almost. And okay. Yeah. So everyday food. Yeah. And in Japan, did your mom do, I was talking about this in my last episode, did she do like Danabe cooking? My dad was more of the cook. Okay. And my, my mom would cook kare. Okay. And she would cook, yeah. My, my mom, when she would make us, when she did cook, she did cook things like um, oyaku donbori, and which is like the kind of, sort of like the eggy frittata-y type thing that goes over rice. So like mm-hmm. it is an over rice thing. But yeah, my dad did a lot of casseroles. Okay. A lot of tuna noodle. <laughs> All the things. Okay, so we've established the baseline. And I was as I was preparing for this interview, it's obviously not a casserole but the first thing that came to mind were your beautiful layer cakes (laughs) that you make because in a way it's every you know every layer how many typically like 30 crazy whatever (laughs) is a different flavor with a different filling different texture all the things and and it's all put together and then you know one it's like a it's a crazy bite everything is composed and so it's like the sweet version a really good way to put it. If there was a if there was a cake that was a, a casserole, I now, mean it's kind of like that because you still like we I set it usually in a frame, so it's kind of like in the casserole dish and it just gets unmolded. Just unmolded. Uh, and how how long does it take for you to make like your most extravagant ones? A couple days, just due to baking and cooling and different layers and every layer is a different flavor and then all the different textures of the fillings and they take time to set, so then they have to you know make it, pour it, set it which can take anywhere from like four hours, depending on how big it is, to like overnight, so. And and I met you, we said again, when you were working at The Wife, and it sounds like a lot of your flavor influence comes from your upbringing in Japan and savory things, and that's really like the hallmark, that and like very organic forms and all that cool stuff. How How is that translating to your work in catering? Are it's you... just that, on, just on a bigger scale. Yeah? And that's why I was really excited to move forward and work with Union Square events under Danny Meyer because it's basically what I was doing, but literally on a much bigger scale. So you still have, I was like, do you still have the freedom to do crazy stuff? Yes. There are definitely opportunities where I get to do crazy things, but then there's opportunities to do those kind of flavor profiles, but in a more um, approachable manner. Okay. And what, so tell me, like, I mean, I know there's in the events world, no typical week, but what are some of the things that you've worked on recently, like the scope and the scale of the work? It is anything from like a 12-person private dinner in someone's home to mm-hmm. a, the 4,000-person seated dinner for the Robin Hood Gala at the Javits Center. Okay. Um, but we also do uh, kind of like a wholesale-style uh, feel of stuff as well, where we do viennoiserie and bakery items for the 9-11 Cafe. And then we also get to do different types of flavors of um, ices for City Field. But then we also get to do these crazy big batches for Delta Airlines for Delta One first class. That sounds, that way, that was a lot. <laughs> so wait, you're making ices for baseball games? Is that for yeah. like VIP stuff? Or? No, just at um, like Papa Rosso, which is our uh, pizza concept in City Field. And so, I mean, you're essentially a catering chef now. 
catering pastry chef. You considered yourself a fine dining pastry chef, I would imagine, for much of your career. What does that? What does that actually mean? I think it's funny. I think a lot of people, uh, for a long time, or, and pro- and still do, kind of like look down on the catering world and look down on catering chefs. And I think it's it's very interesting. Uh, in my opinion, it's like cool. You're a restaurant chef, and it's. Don't get me wrong, it's super hard, and it's a lot of time and attention and a lot of work, and typically you don't have a very big team. It's usually you, maybe a sous chef, and maybe a cook or two, if you're lucky. Um, So you are doing a lot more production, you're doing a lot more work, but at the same time, you know, I think it's very interesting to be in this role, which is something that I really love, and having all the different multifaceted and uh, all the different units of business that we run, and doing so many different things for all of them. So it's not just a dinner service where, yes, you had to do all the production and then you're plating it all, but then you're done. It's where everything from breakfast pastries to wedding cakes and, you know, plated desserts slushies. to slushies <laughs> to, yeah, popsicles. Oh, my God, the popsicles. Uh, to, you know, um, air, you know, a 200-kilo batch of ice cream that we have to do, like, three times a week and like, get it all spun. And, you know, it's... It's just, I wish people recognized, not that one is better or worse than the other, but that there should be some more validity and uh, just just recognition for the catering world. No, and I'm super guilty of it too for a long time and uh, working at Star Chefs for so long. uh, I think last year was one of the first years that we had any kind of focus on catering innovation. And it's a massive part of the industry and the margins are better. Uh, You make more money. And if you're a restaurant, and you learn how to run a catering operation out of your restaurant, it's, it's essentially like creating a new business with the same infrastructure other than obviously like additional staff and things like that. And it can really save, save businesses if you do it in a smart way. So there's obviously a tremendous amount to learn from the industry. I'm sure, you know, like, again, you have benefits, you have teams, you have a wholesome work environment. You're creatively challenged. But I also get to use whatever ingredients I want. Right. Which is amazing. Right, because, because, because you can afford them. to do that. Yep. But then it's also, you know, the amount of different farms that we've been able to help grow their business because we have, like, the amount of things we have to do and the, the quantities that we make, we have to lock in. Like, are you going to be able to actually produce this much stuff for us? Give me an example. Like... There was um, lobster on the menu for Delta at 1.2, which we bought like the Northeast Shore's worth of lobster out. Like locked it in for the season. Sorry, it's ours. Locked it in for the season, but the fishermen know that they're going to get yeah paid for it. They know that the money is good. They're not going to get stood up by then, their vendor. Exactly. You know. And it's just locked in. You're good to go. And then we have another gentleman, Don Cascoon, who I remember visiting him and his farm and his family um, with my husband before we were married. We got to see their pigs and their chickens and slaughtered one of their rabbits and had it for dinner. And I mean, like it was a really amazing experience and seeing where they're, at the time they were pretty much just uh, selling chicken um, to now he is an FDA approved co-packer and co-packs many of a bunch of different sauces we have and things like that for different venues that we do um, in other cities. But it's really amazing that through our business and through us helping and supporting him because the we, choices you make. Yeah, the choices we make. 
and the fact that we believed in him and that his follow through and how excited he was and, and, and his family was to help work together and be able to continue to help building each other and building the relationship helped him really explode his business. Right. And, and that is like the exciting thing about volume is the power to change local buying patterns and agriculture and support people who are doing great things in the world. And instead of, you know, conglomerate, monoculture, you know, all of those kinds of things, which I'm sure there are some pantry ingredients. I mean, everybody has them. I have them. Come <clears throat> mushroom soup. But, <laughs> uh, but, on the, but when you're feeding 4,000 people, you can really make an impact in, in the lives of, like, small business owners and farmers, which is, you know, something I think everybody, there aren't a lot of things everybody can get excited about right now, but helping people in rural communities is one of them. And it what? sounds like you're doing it in, you know, we, and a, it's a schmancy New York City pastry chef. Well, and that's what's cool, too. It's like, yeah, catering, everybody thinks down on catering, too, because the, they think maybe the food quality isn't as good or the execution isn't as nice and the products aren't as nice. But that's where, you know, why I love working for this company and why I love what I'm doing and I get to do it on such a big scale. It's just, it's awesome. So tell me about some of the things you're working on for fall, things that you're excited. I've been like cruising your Instagram profile. What is uh, coming up in the farmer's market, things that you're excited about? Well, fall is done in my mind. I am now on (laughs) spring and summer and fall and winter for next year. It's like a fashion uh, (laughs) Very much, yeah, we have to be, we're working on being, trying to be a year ahead if not even further. What we are excited about for fall, I I mean, my favorite is Concord grapes. Like I Mm -hmm. love it, the end of summer and like doing everything I possibly can to preserve the grape so I can use it for as long as I possibly can. Um, so that's one thing. I'm all, For actual fall things, I'm very excited for squash. I love working with squash. It's just delicious, and it, the texture of it's great. And then, So what would you put a butternut squash into, or a kabocha, or whatever you're doing? Uh, for fall, right now, we have a steamed squash cake, mm-hmm. uh, and then a cremu as well. I've been working a lot with um, pumpkin seed butter, it's a really nice fat, and it doesn't leave such a, of a, a waxy mouthfeel, I feel like sometimes almond butter can give. Okay. Or pump, cashew butter can give. Pumpkin seed butter. Yeah. So then playing with a lot of pumpkin seeds and then trying to use a bunch of different types of squash to help kind of bring out the play of the seed and then the meat. And I'm just thinking ahead, too. So, like, I mean, obviously your clients need menus for spring yes. and summer, and they're planning, and people are planning weddings and galas and... In advance and that's why you have to yeah we need to be able to have menus for our sales team to be able to pitch to yeah the people that are already planning you know next year's galas for the spring this is but this is obviously not a typical catering operation I feel like you know I, there are so many places across the country and the desserts stay the same for most of the year if not all of the year how many how many times are you changing your menu is it a full seasonal shift or we change the menu across the board, including Delta, four times a year. And what do you do exactly for Delta? Is it first class dessert? First class. Damn uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Why can't I be first class? <laughs> I've never tried it in the air. <laughs> Re- oh, man, that's fabulous. R and D. I pretend. <laughs> Delta, if you're listening, I would love to review uh, Union Square events desserts on my next flight. That would be really incredible. Okay, this is this is why everybody needs their frequent flyer miles. <laughs> Definitely. And have you have you had any downtime this summer? Have you done any beachy things? Have you done fun things? We've taken some time with the kids and gone and done a few family things. Uh, we try to just 
get the time that we can and enjoy it to the fullest. So. Right. So seven and wilder. Seven and wilder. And how old are they? Seven is now nine. Okay. And wilder just turned two. Okay. So he's just full force energy. He is a monster. He's a monster. <laughs> he's now. our little monster. <laughs> I know. I was hanging out with girlfriends last week, and there were some two-year-olds in the pack uh, that they left at home with husbands who were like, "Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be fine." So how has been a working mom, and you were a single mom for a while as well, especially one in New York City, shaped your career? How has that shaped your career? And how, like, how is it, I mean, I can't imagine how tough it's been. It's been very challenging. Um, I feel very lucky to be in New York City and have had the experience and the opportunities that I have had um, that have really shaped the way I think about what I want and how I'm going to get there. Um, obviously, things like security and being able to have a salary that I can live on and be able to uh, take care of my kid or kids, if, you know, whenever, whatever the time period was, um, was really important. But really trying to think about being able to have benefits and you know work-life balance, and uh, but still be somewhere where I really loved what I'm doing and that I'm happy and a place that I am giving my all to because they're also giving me their all. And I think that's also why um, Union Square events and under Danny Meyer and USHG just was a really great natural progression. Um, his philosophy of work-life balance and, you know, that our job is about training and delegating and being able to give everybody the tools to do their job so that we're able to do our job and that it's a cyclical thing and that number one is our staff first. Um, and. You know, I really look at myself as a, an, an upside-down pyramid, as me being on the bottom, being able to support my staff fully, because I can't do anything without my staff being happy and healthy and being able to do what they do, but well. So, um, yeah, I think that... So it's really been about the kind of restaurants and the kinds of places that you've been able to work and not necessarily, like, just go to some... 25 seat or 50 seat restaurant with reckless cooking and no yeah. benefits like I, that just wasn't an option I really you. had to think about the priorities what I needed for me to be happy in my career but also then how to be able to sustain that as well as my family um, and I come from the corporate background in terms of teaching um, and a whole lot of uh, consulting while I was teaching too so knowing a lot about how small businesses operate and opening uh, openings and closings, but a lot of um, just I've seen a lot, and I I definitely know that for me I really needed to move towards something larger mm -hmm. uh, that has systems in place and expectations and ways of having accurate follow through. The crazy thing for me is you know in my in my past life at Star Chefs I interviewed women all the time, and they get to be you know a certain age, younger than I am now, right? They're like in their 30s and they're like, well, maybe we'll have kids or we'll slow down. And it's really kind of a terrifying prospect that most men, you know, really don't have to think about their families in terms of their growth and development. And I want to be super encouraging um, of women, but I don't know how to do it. I look at people like you. I look at women like Natasha David, who's doing it in the bar community. What advice do you have for that 29-year-old 20, pastry chef or 32-year-old pastry chef who, I mean, you, you kind of want it all, by the way. Oh, yeah. And you're like... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to figure out how to get it. And you're going to figure it out. Uh, you have a great partner. But 
what advice do you have for them on like on tackling motherhood while while maintaining like an amazing career? You know, you really just have to figure out what you want and what makes you really happy. You know, for me, owning my own business has never been something I've wanted ever. And there are people out there that want to own their own patisserie or whatever. That's not for me. Um, I love being in restaurants, but at the same time, you know, for me, I am very good at managing and delegating and and creating and being able. I like to work with a large team, and so it's you know knowing who you are and how to work around the the hours of what we do every day. How do you work around the hours of what you do every day? Well, I have really, really incredible support. <laughs> My husband's amazing, um, and our nanny is incredible. Um, I've got really amazing family and friends that are nearby. It would be amazing if my mom lived here or my husband's family lived here, but they don't. And, you know, all of our really close friends are our family and help out when we need help. Um, so it's a, is it you have a village? We've built a, a village. It, it takes, it's a lot of people move home when they uh, realize they're having a child. We've had to just kind of create our village. No, and that's amazing. A, no, that's not. That, but that's not a skill that everyone has, or something that people would think about uh, in a big city or a community where they don't have family. Building a village and the and the culinary community really is pretty supportive in general, especially women in it. So build a village. Yeah. Now, I mean, tell me, do you have a tough day? Do you remember when? Like, I mean, have you had days when? There was no childcare, and you had to call in, or no, hundred percent. It was more bringing my kid in with me, <laughs> and would put him at the computer in the office, watching Netflix or playing a video game or whatever. And yeah, I mean, it gets it gets challenging sometimes, and you know, bribery of Netflix or a burger and French fries and getting and pastry. Are well, they, or do yeah. they do they not respond to pastry? Are they are they spoiled? They're they're. I know. I think they're just. He doesn't, Seven just doesn't, he's got a sweet tooth, but he's got a very good sense of knowing when to stop. And did you train him to do that? No, that was all him. That was all Because I'd be like, you want more? He's just like, I'm good. <laughs> wow, that's really incredible. And how, were you in New York when you had him? I was in San Francisco when I had him. Okay, and then moved to New York. Yeah. For work. For work. For work specifically. That's a pretty bold move, Mama. Just, it was intense. <laughs> just, just, a, just a little bit. And is there anything, do you think, about being a mom, whether it's just from your constitution or uh, how you look at the world that's made you a better pastry chef and a better I mean, I think, it goes, I think it goes hand in hand. It's, you know, thinking creatively um, and, you know, like not, not being opposed to, to different ideas, you know? Like when I was on the job hunt, again, looking at the things that I really needed for myself to be happy in my job, but then what I needed for my family, um, and then also needing some form of security. You know, things that came up, recognizing that I like working in bigger companies or corporations because of those reasons. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't be afraid of getting creative and kind of coming up with your own position or looking in corporate areas or areas that you may not have thought could be interesting. Like I was, you know, looking into like Chobani and like writing them about hey, would you ever need somebody to do this kind of position? I know you have, like, R&D chefs and things like that, but, like, what about in this format? Um, or, you know, seeing what jobs might be available in um, school systems. You know, there's something that I really care about is healthy food for my kids, and we should be able to offer that to more people. I know there is lots of wellness in the schools and lots of uh, programs happening. But in New York. In New York specifically, and, and even, like, on the national level. But, you know, maybe there was something there that 
would be an appealing position for me or something that would make sense. I would love for you to be my, like, lunch lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's not, like, or even finding, like, a private school that needed somebody to um, help develop healthier menu items or whatever it might be. But then also looking into things like there are some really big corporations out there like Kraft and Kellogg's and different things like that that are trying to become more on trend with things like healthy eating and eating organic foods and uh, local and whatever it might be. And, you know, there was a time where I was would put my nose up to that. But, you know, really trying to see what there is out there and how you can actually for me, at least it was about how can I make an impact and where could I actually do some good and feel good about it. Right. And challenge yourself creatively. But I think, and I think that advice applies again, like talking with my girlfriends last week and um, I'm the only childless, uh, (laughs) childless one in the bunch about what their careers are going to look like um, after, you know, after they dedicated a ton of time and effort to the two-year-old phase. I mean, they're all working right now, um, but how they can parlay that and, and keep pushing and doing all the things. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Hello guests. I am in the home kitchen of Elaine Tooten, who is a former home economics teacher and director of school food service in my hometown of Baxley, Georgia. Hello, Elaine. Hello. How are you? I'm (laughs) wonderful. She's also one of the best home entertainers. Oh, gosh. You're so kind and so generous. (laughs) And entertainers, which is why I wanted to come in and stop and get some tips from you for entertaining for a crowd. And you tell me you shoot from the hip. I, I do. And, you know, last night I was sitting there thinking about what in the world can I tell her? What can I share with her? that everybody else, <clears throat> excuse me, that entertains doesn't already know. And I'm thinking, golly, Pete, I don't know anything. But, you know, then I go back to my roots in home economics and go back to the school that I attended. And one of the things that we had to do was plan these meals, you know, before we could graduate. So I guess that's where my training came from. I don't know, but I've just always loved to cook and I've always been in the kitchen. And so it just kind of comes natural for me to do this. But um, if I had to tell you one thing that, um, probably is the most important thing to me about planning an event is the planning process. And um, people get tickled at me because I read cookbooks like people read novels. Okay. I can just spend hours and you can see all the cookbooks in front of you there and that's just a minor uh, part of them. They're all over my house and I'm constantly reading. And uh, so I'm always looking for something easy because when I'm looking for something for a party, I look for ease. I look for if it's going to be five or six different types of casserole type dishes that mm-hmm. I want to make sure that they're all cooked at the same temperature or almost the same temperature so I can put them all in the oven at one time and take them out at one time instead of spending, you know, 30 minutes on this and waiting on the oven and putting something else in. So that just helps eliminate a lot of the stress out of what you do. And how much advance work do you do? I do a lot of advance work. I can spend as much as 30 days prior okay. to the event. And that's, that's just me. Because I enjoy looking at those cookbooks that much. Right. So I'll, from the 30 days, I'll compile a list of probably maybe five different menus. Okay. And then as the time gets closer, I'll, you know, narrow it down to maybe one or two. And then I'll get that final, that final menu that I'm going to do. And after I do that, then uh, I have to sit down and plan how many people I'm going to have. Um, you know, what are their ages? What are their likes? What are their dislikes? Mm-hmm. You, you want to know, you hope that you're going to know, and you're always going to have somebody that's going to be new to the, 
knew the party. Right. But you don't know anything about their taste, but you hope you're going to have something. So I try to plan around all of that and uh, get my my recipes together. And I go strictly, when I'm calculating how many recipes I have to go, I, I go strictly about what the recipe says. If it says this recipe feeds six and I'm feed 12 people, then I'm going to double it. Okay. Yeah. And that usually works because sometimes... It works because everybody doesn't eat the same thing, you know, and so you're always going to have some left over. So that's not a problem. And uh, then I go to the grocery store. And I wait until probably uh, maybe four days, five days before the event to go to the grocery store so I can pretty much make that be the only trip. Okay. I, I don't like to run back and forth to the grocery store if I can help it. Get that stuff and I have an outside refrigerator so I can store my That's stuff. That's a luxury, it's by the way. Luxury. <laughs> I, I agree. It's, a, it's wonderful. I don't know what I'd do without it. But um, I, I get everything in the, in the, in the refrigerator. And then three days prior to the event is when I start cooking. Okay. And I try to do everything that I can that um, can be done ahead of time. Okay. And I put it in that outside refrigerator, and it stays there until it's time for me to, to put know, it in the oven. To put it in the oven, and um, you know, I just like for it to that just runs smoothly for me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, Cindy, my mother is really terrible about doing advanced planning. <laughs> She's also sitting Shame here. On her. Shame, <laughs> shame, shame. She's a last-minute uh, queen of cooking. Well, I'm a, you know, I'm a last-minute person just doing every day, you know, but... Um, but when it's for an actual especially event. Especially since I've retired, I'm like that. Now, I wasn't necessarily like that when I was working because when I left for school every day, there was something in my mind that I was going to prepare for dinner that night. I didn't come home blindsided because I just felt like, you know, by the time I got home and got the meal prepared, it was time to eat. The kids needed that, and they didn't need to wait till. And you need to relax, too. Yeah, you don't need to wait till 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night to eat. You know, they need to be in bed before then. So that was just my plan. It worked for me. You know, it's, it's how I did it. But anyway, after I go to the grocery store, after I get uh, all my dishes prepared, the ones that I can prepare ahead of time, then you need to think about some help. Are you gonna okay. Need, are you going to need some help for this party? And uh, like I told you earlier, I'm looking for people that work like I work and uh, people that I've been around a lot and they know what I like, what I don't like, mm-hmm. and so they can cater to me as much as I can cater to them. So this is the problem with having my husband help me probably is what I'm running into. <laughs> Husbands are always the best. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's always better to get outside help. Okay. So um, after I get my outside help and get them to come in on the day of and get them to come in early, then, you know, I have a timeline. I okay. Sit, I sit down Ooh. and I've got a timeline and I know that one casserole goes in the oven at three o'clock. One of them goes in at, you know, another one goes in at six o'clock. Mm-hmm. You know, the event's going to start at, at, say, seven o'clock. So I like to do buffets. Okay. Love to do buffets because you can put all the stuff out there and people love a buffet. Uh, because they don't have to eat everything and mm-hmm. they can just kind of graze, and especially men like it. Okay. Uh, so that's that's the thing that I. Enjoy. I typically don't cater to men, but you know. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Around here, you have to cater to men. <laughs> oh, but uh, but anyway, that's just that's the plan that works for me, and I and I go strictly by that timeline. Okay. You know, so I know exactly when I'm going to have that food on the table. I know when the doorbell's going to ring for the first guest to arrive, and. Um, and we're good to go. And you're good to go. What have been some of your more memorable menus that you have produced? One that I did uh, last summer at the coast um, with some close friends of ours and family is we did um, a Mexican buffet. Okay. And uh, we had quesadillas. We had 
fajitas, you know, we had the tacos, mm -hmm. the whole nine yards, and it was a buffet. Those children and the men loved it. Oh, yeah. They loved it. So I guess that's the one that stands out in my mind right now. That was recent. Yeah. Okay. I did Spanish paella the other night, and um, and whatever I'm trying, you know, if it's going to be a dish that uh, it's going to be new to the scene, I make sure that I cook that um, maybe two weeks or a week in advance, and I've always got uh, seven or eight neighbors close by that are always ready and willing to taste anything that I carry them. I imagine you would be a very good neighbor to have. <laughs> One of them call when I call her and I ask her, I said, I've got so-and-so, would you like to try it? And she said, oh, is this Meals on Wheels calling? Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, so it's, it's fun, but that's, you know, my gosh, that's all I can tell you. No, that's great. I mean, so plan way in advance, look yeah. through, you know, create menus that work for people because right. this is hospitality. Yeah. Go to the grocery store several days in advance, get cooking. I don't create timelines because I'm, like I said, I'm a little more loosey-goosey right. intuitive, but I think that's something that I could add and, and get someone other than my husband yeah. to well, help me. I the reason I have the timeline is I, I have a tendency to get antsy. Okay, yeah. At the last minute, and, and I don't want the anxiety to set in because if you do, you know, when my husband was leaving, we'd just almost get a screaming match. You know, I mean, I would never do, I would never do that. He was trying to tell me what to do, and I would say, just please get out of the way. Get right. out of here, you know, get out of my kitchen and let me take care of this, you know. No, so, a timeline gives everybody very clear yes. expectations. Yes, and I know it's going to come off at a certain time, and I know we're going to be ready at that particular time. So. I think William might institute a, a timeline policy from now on out, and maybe I will get less antsy as well. <laughs> and maybe you can have your mama develop one. Uh, I think she needs one, Elaine. I think that would be very helpful for her and the rest of my family. There we go. <laughs> well, thank you. Oh, well, this has been fun. So thank much. You. And um, I don't, maybe one day we can cook together. Okay, great. Let me know. I'd love it. We have some guests tonight all the way from Australia. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, Welcome. What? Yeah. Thank you. I know this is like such a treat. <laughs> what? What? Um, Casseroles do you eat in Australia? <laughs> or do oh you? Because your seasons are backwards. Um, Dave Stroganoff, is that a casserole? Sure. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say lasagna, but I don't Yes, 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 yes. That counts. Okay. Um, but Shepherd's Pie. But that doesn't belong to Australia. Shepherd's Pie no. is a valid thing. Oh, yeah. but in Australia, we call it shit under a blanket. Shit or under a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> Can't all be lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like, what, I do have to say, 
And you're Southern too. Right, but in one of the cookbooks, the, in that, <laughs> not the one that you, not the casserole one that's there, but in the other House and Garden mm -hmm. one, the cookbook, I think, but I, I think that's where I had the recipe from. When my kids were growing up, we used to have this all the time. It was a meat and potatoes uh, casserole. We Cornbread mix on top. Well, there was Ooh. that one. There was that one. That was, yeah. There was also the one with potatoes and um, ground beef and tomatoes, I think. Are you, and are you guys a Kugel household? No. A Kugel? I was growing up, but I don't really know. That's like the only Jewish like 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 casserole and the, well, I that I know of. But there aren't a lot. I have all those recipes. And noodle kugel, you know. It does mean cannonball, doesn't it? Kugel. Kugel cannonball. Yeah, no, I think those are matzo matzo balls. Cannonball. In your family, anyway. Totally, totally fair. Totally fair shot. I attempted to commit the. Uh, Badly remembered tuna casserole of my youth, mm -hmm. oh, yes. but, but Peggy totally you know, rejected it. Oh. <laughs> I also have a tuna casserole of my youth with like potato chips on top. Oh, yeah. I remember those. We had tuna monet. It sounds like an actress's name. It's a director's name. It actually ruined tuna for me, I have to say. It's just like so overcooked and tasteless. It was not good. Let's put hot sauce on it. Kenneth, how many nights a week did you not eat casseroles growing? Oh, I only ate casseroles when I was at my friend's house. Yeah, white people's house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Always like friends were like, come to my church, whatever. And I'm like, oh, I can't right. get you casseroles now. And marshmallows. <laughs> marshmallows. Yeah, okay. Definitely at like the church functions, yeah. for sure. I just literally Googled African-American casseroles. Because I'm like, I don't. It's like macaroni and cheese. Yeah. That counts. Yeah, no, that counts. But anything but that's banged? The only, the only thing I could think of was sweet potatoes. Sweet potato. mm. yeah. 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 With yeah. the marshmallows and the raisins, depending on who was. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, and like, what. Because like I've been struggling with that as no. well. Mm -mm. No. Yeah, so it's called. Sweet, like, souffle here, right? Sweet potatoes. Well, that's if they're whipped, if it's a souffle. Like, you. <laughs> right. Because then it no. has to be, like. But. So I, I came here for the first time for Thanksgiving three years ago, uh, and I in Atlanta. Yeah. And mm -hmm. oh, yeah. they were like, "We're doing a sweet potato souffle," and I thought it was going to be a savory like souffle. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just mashed. like mashed potatoes, mm -hmm. sweet potatoes with marshmallows that were <laughs> semi yeah. like really whatever like yeah. on top, and I was like, "Oh." What? So that's what that—that's <laughs> that's what that family calls right. it. Because you know, and I'm gonna say this is in America, but it doesn't mean it's not everywhere else. Like, we take a name and we just like say that's what we're that's gonna call like it. What this is. <laughs> yeah, right, but that's not—that's what, what it is. Been calling right. Like, right. Tuna so we're call it, right? So we've yeah. been calling it that for a generation. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we know what a mornay is, and it definitely has nothing to do with tuna. <laughs> <laughs> what is mornay? Mornay is 
you can bechamel sauce and then adding cheese to it, it makes it a morning. Okay. Yeah, classical yeah. French mother oh, sauce. Yeah. Right. Okay. And the only person I have not har harassed is the Dominican in the box. <laughs> You're up. Uh, it's weird because, yeah, we don't really have that many casseroles or at all. But um, one thing that comes to my mind is something that's, um, I mean, it could be considered Puerto Rican as well. Um, we call it a pastelón. A pastelón. Pastelón. So with pastelon. a P, pastelón. Okay. So uh, basically, it's almost kind of like a lasagna, but it's like layered ground beef with sweet plantains. And then the top is like finished with yes. like cheese that's like melted, but like almost it creates like a crust on top. Yeah. So, that's kind of like our okay. casserole. I can have one of those. My okay. mom would make it with, uh, my mom would like interchange it and make, instead of with uh, sweet plantains, she would do white rice sometimes or whatever. I was gonna say, is there a starch in there? Yeah, the plantain starch. Yeah. 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 And a little sweet. I mean, more starch is always good for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that, hip, now that hip, hip has raised our expectations of casseroles, yes. <laughs> now you can go eat my <clears throat> chicken strata casserole with Cream of mushroom soup on top. There are eggs, yes. cheese, milk, seven-layer salad, just yes. for Kenneth, just for you. Oh, <laughs> so uh, I have a question about distinguish, distinguishing yeah. salads from casseroles. Salads are like when you call it a salad, like a layered salad. It's basically a casserole that's not baked. That's not baked. It's a, it's a casserole. Okay, what's on top of the salad? These seven-layer salad, salad. cherries, dry cherries are on top. Oh, is that what that is? Okay. Is that what that is? I thought it was caviar. <laughs> <laughs> Jules, my dear. Life isn't all caviar. Sometimes she's just casserole, dressed up for the party. Listeners, I do hope that after this episode, you're a little bit more prepared and confident to tackle your next dinner party. But now, if you'll excuse me, Mr. Nicholson and I have some dishes to wash it's a small price for keeping it creamy. Mm -hmm.